This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And a very warm welcome to the Shackles Are Off podcast. And it feels like Christmas Day, not for not for the fact that it's winter, or really for me, but probably for Chris, because Chris is sat um, in front of me with his Barmy Army woolly hat on. But you won't be taking that with you tomorrow when you're on your flight in uh, early morning on the way to Raoul Pindy Pal, will you? No, absolutely not. Staying firmly in the UK, this woolly hat. Well, it might make it to Manchester Airport, but it's going to... Um... Yeah, it's going to stay here. I'm hoping to see some uh, fabulous test cricket over the course of the next next four or five days. I'm very fortunate to be able to be going over to Ralpindi. A lot of people already there, just taking in the sights and um, just getting familiar with a country that pretty much no one's been to other than the real hard, hardcore stalwarts that have been touring for years and years and years. Um, Andy Thompson's going again. He was there 17 years ago, but... Um, pre that, there's, there won't be many people that have done both, so it's quite exciting. I know a lot of people are excited to be just to be travelling again. Um, some people that haven't gone on a cricket tour, um, maybe since the West Indies or maybe even since COVID. So um, it's still fairly fairly new to be back following the England team around the world. Obviously missed the Ashes tour. Not many people were able to get out to the T20 World Cup, although our expats did a fabulous job. Um, yeah, it's exciting, mate. We're really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to a good test series as well. I think so. It's going to be two really good teams. Pakistan are incidentally favourites. As you'd kind of expect in the subcontinent for a team that have done well when they've actually played test cricket and they're still kind of finding their own feet, etc. However, you know, they've got the home home advantage, etc. And England in unfamiliar surroundings, what was really cool, it's on the Barmy Army tw- uh, Twitter. It came from the ECB, the video of England's first day in Pakistan. And they're just so warmly welcomed everywhere. And I'm sure that you're probably expecting not not quite the same red carpet treatment, mate, but you'll be getting something similar. A nice warm welcome. You'll be warmly embraced when you arrive, I am sure of that. Um, so that looks good. Also, enjoyed this on the Barmy Army Twitter. I was looking at this this morning. Uh, the England team in 2005, when we last played in Pakistan, Awesome. Yes. Who surprises? <laughs> it is. So so Triscothic, Vaughan, Bell, Collingwood, Peterson, Flintoff, Jones, you could probably get, I reckon. And then um Harmison Hoggard. And then there was two rogue names in there, wasn't there? Can you remember them? You've seen obviously this graphic. Mm, Mr. Liam Plunkett and Sean Udell. <laughs> Correct. Absolutely awesome. That is that's mad, isn't it? Looking at that. Um, I I just I was thinking, like, what? Liam Plunkett, Pudsy, the World Cup winner, the recent retired legend, playing in the same team as all, all the old boys that have been doing the circuit for 
four years. What's going on there? <laughs> but um, no, you, you forget how how um, long Liam's career was with England, don't you? When he played, he played so many Test matches in his early former days, and then transitioned to White Wars. He got a bit older, so yeah, a bit of an eye opener that one. Absolutely. Yeah, it was really good. So there'll be loads of little things that have been chucked about like that over the coming weeks. So keep your eyes peeled on the Barmy Army Twitter feed and Instagram as well. There's going to be a bit of vlogging going on. I know that you and Chuck are obviously gearing up for um, plenty of tomfoolery and we're going to be doing a few podcasts uh, with these two as well. I'll be sat in my warm South London flat uh, or cold South London flat, I should say. Um, And uh, whilst, whilst you two are out, in the searing heat, chatting to all manner of different folk. And actually, what's quite funny is that you look at it and you've got no idea who you're going to be meeting or bumping into, which I really, actually, that's one of the best things about going on tour, isn't it? That it really is, actually. So It's an incredible um, situation where a lot of people, it's like a shared interest, very diverse people that travel and tour, where a lot of people think it's just lads and groups of mates that like to go on the piss but to be honest it, it isn't it's never been the case obviously some tours highlight that more than others what you see in the media what you see on the telly can highlight that but if you're actually there you've experienced it there's an awful lot of couples there there's a lot of older people older people there that have retired and wanting to tour we on our normal regular barmy army travel touring group we have a, a group of five ladies that are all single ladies that like to travel together all all post 60 but love to come on cricket tours and travel together it's all about community that's what touring's about being part of something being part of a community and supporting the england team whilst doing that brendan mccullum has also said that he wants to keep that style of play going um which is exciting for you uh heading out there wanting to watch some test cricket and all those uh people who are going to be watching at home the time difference is great as well because it means that when you get in um from work you've 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 had the full day's play and by the the turnaround for the highlights is quite key so you buy sort of six seven o'clock when you're ready to actually kind of watch bits back after work five six o'clock the whole thing's there it's ready it's done it's good so that's uh that's quite a nice thing and also if you fancy getting up a bit early before work and watching it live you can do so that's good but um, yeah brendan mccullum said that We've got an obligation to try and ensure that people come away entertained because test cricket's not always been as popular as it used to be. So I think that's quite uh, that's quite reassurance here as well. And obviously, Ben Stokes effect, etc. So well, uh, at least well, the thing what you're going to get in Pakistan is flat pitches, and <clears throat> they're going to turn a lot. We haven't got a lot of strength in our spinning department. However, we've got the the new youngster that's been brought in, which is exciting. But some exciting selections: Will Jack, Slim Livingston, a little bit left field, but also give us a. I think they give us a good flavour of what's to come. But I think the the thing that people are looking forward to is England attacking oppositions away from home. Yeah. Um, Test cricket is not the easiest for it to do that, but it's, it's almost the Ben Stokes attitude, isn't it? If you're going to go down, go down fighting. <laughs> <laughs> and um, get down, trying to hang on, but we'll see. It's it's the first major away series for for both the guys. So I'm hoping for um, a lot of entertainment. To be honest, I think we might just see a bit of that. And uh, looking forward to all the different characters that you and Chuck come across as well over the coming weeks. So keep your eyes peeled. Remember, obviously, to keep checking the podcast feed as well. Um, people who obviously may have missed the boat in terms of going to Pakistan, um, there are other opportunities to experience some excellent venues. You've got South Africa, you've got New Zealand coming up just after Christmas. So talk to people about that. I know we always wax lyrical about these places. South Africa, I could bang on about all day, um, but New Zealand as well. I mean, we, we did talk a bit about it on the last podcast with uh, Keaton Jennings, actually, mate. But um, for those who missed that, let's go again. Quite right as well. We've got... It's quite an exciting start to the new year, really. There's something for everyone. First up, you've got the T, sorry, the ODI series. In, this is the rearranged series from like 2020, where it was meant to be played and cancelled because COVID, then cancelled again, and now it's finally arised. And it and it's and it's happening in Kimberley and Bloemfontein, two places we've not been too much, so two new exciting places to go to. And as part of our package on barmyarmytravel.com, we have a Cape Town extension as well where people can go and 
enjoy the festivities of um, of Cape Town, one of the best cities in the world. Um, just off the back of that, though, we're also going to be on sale soon with the Women's T20 World Cup packages, which are happening straight after that series in South Africa. So if people are just wanting to spend four weeks in South Africa. Well, there you go. Go and watch a load of cricket as well. Uh, England women's going out to win the World Cup and and the, the the chaps going out to play the three ODIs should be a very entertaining little series that so what's not to love and, and if you really want to push the boat out well guess what we're going to New Zealand in February one of the best places in the world I've um spoke very highly of it over many many podcasts but you've, you've just got to it's one of them places you've just got to go like Brendan McCullum, Ben Stokes don't care how you get there don't care what you do just want to see you there Love to hear it. That's, uh, I mean, it's, it is, it just looks like, I think I described it on the last podcast actually as being somewhere that if I showed Americans that that's where there was international sport happening, they wouldn't quite actually believe it. They'd go, <laughs> what? Not, not that they, most of them probably know where New Zealand is, but yeah. anyway, there you go. <laughs> so that's, um, yeah, there you go. Have a look at those on, on barmyarmy.com as Chris says. Um, we should get on to today's guest. So, You spoke to Joss Butler not too long ago, probably five or six episodes ago here on the podcast, Chris. Yeah. And that was a great chat. Brilliant. Obviously, the most recent white ball World Cup winning captain with England. And um, today's guest... He didn't know it at the time, but... No, he didn't know it at the time. It was just prior to that, wasn't it? Um, Interesting. He did did talk about... You did talk about that quite a lot, didn't you? The World Cup, Mm -hmm. etc. Obviously, his cards were a little bit close to his chest. I can't remember him saying anything ridiculously quotable like we're gonna win it or whatever but you wouldn't you'd be daft to do that wouldn't you <laughs> um, but um yeah so okay so this this time around we've got owen morgan um on the shackles rock podcast and we speak about all manner of different things actually i'll let you get into it in a minute but it's it's a really really nice chat he's obviously a legend of the game but talking to him um i just couldn't believe how considered he is with everything he, he thinks about everything that you're asking and then responds in this incredibly full way you know like when you're doing an exam at school and it says 10 marks and you're trying to write down 12 15 different points just to make sure you've got all 10 well that's what he's like when he's talking it's brilliant so um i hope that you um enjoy the podcast um with owen morgan which is coming up in just a moment just uh, quickly chris you fly tomorrow morning bright and early I do, yes. 4, 4 a.m. pick up tomorrow morning and we'll be at the airport on our plane on our merry way for half seven. Um, stopping in Qatar, actually, on the way, bizarrely enough. Ooh, so tempting. Just tempting. a flying visit. It's tempting to nip out and go and watch England beat Wales tonight. But no, um, <laughs> flying over to Pakistan. Uh, we, I think we land about midnight and the test starts at 10 a.m. the day after. So it's going to be a bit of a whirlwind. Um, but look, it'll be great fun. We're in, we're in Pakistan watching test cricket. Um, hopefully we win the toss and bat. That's always very important. I think starting an overseas tour away from home, win that first toss, momentum and all that. But um, but who knows? Who knows with this team? They're not frightened of anything. No, they're not. You're absolutely right. Chris, enjoy. Go well. Speak to you when you're on the other side from Pakistan. That'll be the next time we hear from Chris and also producer Chuck as well and a whole different manner of different folk who are meandering their way around Pakistan for the first time in a very long time, 17 years. Right, um, we'll let you get into it then. It's Owen Morgan on the Shackles Rock podcast. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Uh, Owen, so good to have you on the podcast. Um, you've been a long sought after guest uh, to come along, and we've got you. So here we are, which is which is great. And we're, first of all, straight off the bat, we're going to talk about because this English white ball game, I suppose English cricket overall, is in such a strong position. 
Um, some listeners may have seen this in, in the press over the last couple of days, actually, in, in the UK. But um, this Christ- cricket festival that you're hosting or putting on with Joss Butler and uh, Brendan McCullum, tell, tell us a little bit about it, because I think it's such a good idea. Yeah, thanks. And a pleasure to be on, um, boys and girls and every, all the listeners. Um, obviously, very appreciative and, and thankful for, for your support over the years. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a cool cool project that me, Brendan McCullum and Joss Butler have been working on for a number of months now. And to give you a bit of backstory, how it, how it came about was we've always talked about how cricket has played such a significant role in our lives and careers, and everything from the values that it brings us to how it's shaped our our families and individual pathways into being international cricketers. But there's always a moment in time that all three of us relate to about having a very driven dad that that is a huge fan that that introduces us to it or an uncle who's willing to spend a huge amount of time throwing balls or taking us to practices or just a local cricket coach that you know, is just an unbelievable volunteer. So you're talking about trying to make an impact in people's lives. And, and for an English cricketer, it's always World Cups or Ashes and everything in between. If, if you don't necessarily have been introduced to the game, it, it, it can be difficult to access. So we thought about just like celebrating the game and for, for absolutely everybody, for, for somebody that's been in cricket their whole lives, um, who's maybe coming towards the end of, of, of watching the game or just a, a proud fan to somebody who just wants to come and have a party. We thought using cricket as a celebration and pretty much an excuse to get the whole of the game together and throw, throw one big party and then celebrate what's good about the game. You, we, you mentioned right off the top how privileged it is at the moment to be an England cricket fan, you know, double world champs. Um, the test match game this summer was just test match cricket on an unbelievably exciting level to watch for absolutely everything um, going along with it. So the three of us have teamed up with a festival events company called Brand Events to host the Festival of Cricket from the 14th to the 16th of July next year at Gunnersbury Park. And if you come along, basically, we'll encourage you to have a go. There'll be different challenges, entertainment. You can shop for your latest kit. You can watch a cricket bat being made. You can sit in a tent and, and watch where the origin of cricket started. You can have a go at umpiring. You can have a go at professional commentary. Uh, we're going to have two big screens with the finals blast day at Edgebaston being broadcast and the women's ashes ODI game. So if you just want to come and watch the game of cricket, that's fine. There'll be plenty of food, drink, lots of stuff for kids. Um, so it, we're unbelievably excited about it. And it's, it's something I think Joss summed it up really well when he was asked about it. Uh, he, he tried to explain it and, and did really well. And then at the end of it, he said, this is something that I want to be able to take my family to and in 20 years time, because, you know, cricketers are forgotten after their career and not necessarily, but somebody else comes along and, and takes centre stage and rightly so. But I want to be able to take my young kids there and, and just get them enjoying what cricket has to, to offer. Um, and I've probably not explained it there that well, but no, you have. if, you, if, if you want more information, the, the, the website's a great indicator. It's thefestivalofcricket.com. Um, the early bird tickets go on sale the 1st of December. So, and go have a look. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it, I'm extremely passionate about it. And I like the idea of going to festivals in London. And I'm not somebody who likes camping out at a festival. So I'll go for a day. I'll go to like a, a I don't know, a festival of eat or drink or music. And I don't necessarily have to like the food or music, but I will go because it's fun. So we're hoping to create a platform for cricket in, in that sort of space. That's that's perfectly explained. I think there's a lot of people who just love the sound of stuff like that because you've got lots of localized things, don't you? Local cricket clubs where they might have a, a family fun day or that kind of thing, and the bouncy castles there, and you're just getting people in and around the club, and it's it's that kind of feel, isn't it? But you know, any kind of charity cricket game that I go to, 
I absolutely love that when you turn up and there's a few ex England players there. <laughs> I haven't seen each other for ages. You know, I was at one a few only a few weeks ago in in October actually when there was Andy Caddick and Devon Malcolm and Gladstone Small and they had not seen each other for ages, but they're obviously got on great. And it's that kind of spirit. They're in that environment and it is such a great environment. There's a bit of food going on and the drinks going. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But this is a bit different because when I first heard about this, Owen, I, I'd sort of heard the fact that it was, you know, you hear all this stuff about legacy, right? So when the Olympics, for example, was on wanting to create a lasting legacy for sport or when, England won the Rugby Union World Cup in 2003. There was lots of chat about legacy. And then that kind of all gets parked off and compartmentalised to politicians, ministers, jackets, suits, uh, corporates, and it all kind of gets lost. And actually, I, I suppose that this is a, is a much better way. When I'd heard that it was what it is, as you, you've described, I thought, you know what, that's such a better way of grabbing it by the scruff of the neck because at the end of the day, it's entry level. And it is the dads, the uncles, the mums, the whoever else dropping people at cricket who make it about that. That's why you guys make it, isn't it? That it's not nothing to do with corporate schemes or things like that. It's actually just an entry level, nice fun day out. And that's how you end up enjoying it and getting immersed in it. Right? No, absolutely. And uh, like for all of the reasons that you've just alluded to, like cricket, what group glues cricket together and certainly my journey at Josses and Baz's all have intertwining and relatable moments or, or people, but it, it, it's actually the, the, the volunteers or if you're lucky enough, a family member that is absolutely besotted by the game or just simply enjoys watching that young kid enjoy themselves so much that they will come along. And it's creating the space for that in the same way that a club does up and down the country for thousands and thousands of people. So, and, and it's bearing in mind that my local club growing up in Ireland, and then when I moved to London, Finchley Cricket Club, was that space. And it is a, an un, like it is a really safe space to be able to take you know, kids or your granddad. So from yeah. everybody from one scale to the next, we're hopefully going to have enough, you know, entertainment and different things that can appeal to both ends of the scale. Sounds absolutely perfect. Absolutely love it. And look, like you did mention, it is double appealing now because England are double World Cup champions. Um, and I suppose that probably should mention that we're going to have two of the two of the World Cups there, which is going to be pretty pretty special. Really? Oh, that's perfect, isn't it? That's great. That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> of all the things I forgot about, the two big shiny pieces of uh, mine and Joss's lives <laughs> will be there as well. No, the proper fl- fruits of your labour. <laughs> Absolutely love it. How, how much did you enjoy being there last week for that? Because there was some great sort of video footage of you really actually just with a beaming smile across your face. And obviously it's a lot of, your work, I suppose, it's got your kind of fingerprints all over it. I know you're too modest a bloke to kind of admit that, but you must have taken a lot of pride in watching those players who have kind of jumped on this conveyor belt and this pathway that you've forged for them to, you know, to to that ultimate winning I, I, moment. Yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. And and the sense of pride that I had is, is I suppose, it, it's not really relatable to anything that I've done in my playing career just simply because when you sit back and and you watch as a fan you allow yourself to not only be engrossed in the game ride the highs and the lows of emotions but allow yourself to hear about the drama that's going on around which which I've never allowed myself to do as a player I've always been the type of player that's you know I've never engaged in in media I, I always engage in particularly when I'm around tournament time, I would always buy the racing posts and I I would, I love horse racing and I have a few horses. So it's easy to pick up the news of the race racing posts and just skim through it. There's my news for the day. Is there anything else going on in the world that like is relative? Yeah, absolutely. But cricket would be the last thing that I would look at, particularly as a player. So to go on this journey and sit back and watch Joss and his team ride the drama of the group stages and then come out really under the pump when you've two massive injuries in the semi-final against India and absolutely Belton was something just off the charts exhilarating. So 
No, I, I loved it. I really did. And it's, it's, it's an unbelievable position to be in. I've, I've basically done what the Barmy Army have done and, and <laughs> followed the team around. Not quite had as much fun. I did bump into a few fans in the pub chasing a Guinness here or there. Um, but no, it's, it, yeah, huge, huge sense of pride and just admiration for what Joss has achieved in such a short space of time. Uh, we all watched Safak and watched the transition and, and it's, any transition, I firmly believe, is, is always a difficult one, regardless if the previous leader is good or bad. Um, but to galvanise things, certainly in, in, in Pakistan and then come and you know, convincingly beat Australia in a, in a bilateral series and, and then get to the crux of the tournament that conditions actually don't suit you. The ball moved around all over the place. And actually, if you were looking to beat England, any white ball team, you would prepare wickets like that in conditions like that to hamper their huge strength of being able to take the game away from you. A bit like 2019 in many ways, in the sense that they kind of left themselves with a little bit of work to do in much of the same way you guys did. And then it became a basically a knockout tournament while still in the group stage, if that makes sense. You know, it was like must-win game, must-win game, semis, final. And it was it was the same in 2019, wasn't it? But it, it, it's so interesting what you were saying about your when you were on the pitch, because it was all, I mean, you may or may not be aware of this. I suspect that you probably are, but the camera would quite often zoom into you. If there was, let's say there was someone carting all over the place and you were stood in the field and you just remained completely expressionless, completely. And, and obviously you would have had your own thoughts going on inside your head, but you didn't let it show. But I suppose now you're able to kind of ride with that a little bit. Um, have you found that difficult to be able to actually kind of just, yeah, it's all right. I can let go. Nobody cares what I, what I, what I look like now. I'm sat in the commentary box. I can't affect this game. It's fine. Have you found that a little bit difficult to kind of let go of that kind of poker faced expression? No, that's just, that's just <laughs> my face. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, mate. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. I think that, like, always people are like, are you trying to do something or what's going on when you were playing? And I was thinking, no, I'm, I'm constantly trying to think of, right, particularly if somebody's getting belted all over the park, you're thinking, right, how are we getting out of this? I never allowed myself time to use an expletive or throw your hands in the air or just, I thought it was a waste of time and mm. it always gave off a bad impression because bowling is the hardest part of the game by a country. Unless you're a test scene bowler in England, it is the hardest part of the game. Um, so you have to have a huge amount of empathy and sympathy for the bowlers in the, in the job that they're trying to achieve. Bowling seen with a white ball is extremely difficult. So again, the, the thoughts that would always go through my head is if, if the ball was getting belted, right, what was the next plan? Then you'd engage with the scoreboard, right? What's the score? Because that never lies to you. It's the reality of the game, what's going on. So again, trying to do that, do I need to speak to Joss, bounce an idea off him? And then when choose, pick and choose your moment to speak to the bowler, depending on what ball it was in the over and how you were trying to get in and out of it. So all these things concentrate, like flowing through your head. And again, you need an instant decision, particularly in the T20 game. So yeah, I wasn't trying to put on anything. And, and certainly <laughs> sitting back and watching now, it's, you're not as heavily involved in, because because you don't have to make that decision. Yeah. You can, you can talk about different things and then you can elaborate on them more. And then the moment passes and then you're on to another decision. But it's, yeah, you're not as heavily involved. Are you enjoying the media work? I thought you were really... I thought you were brilliant at it. I know the, the, the feedback that we had amongst our mates and stuff was absolutely uh, amazing. Yeah, I thought it was so cool that a that you were kind of willing to kind of put yourself in that position. You know, quite because it's quite raw in many respects. Quite soon, you know. I know, obviously, ended on brilliant terms, and it was your own decision, which is a which is a, a great kind of you know thing to be fortunate of really in sport, isn't it? Because you see that quite often where people don't really get their own chance to step away, et cetera. But I, I just wondered if you wanted six months away from it or a year from it or whatever, or I'll be watching at home and I'll be talking about it at a little after dinner speech, but I won't, I won't be right in there in the mix of it, but you must, it seemed like you absolutely loved the fact that you were that close to it. 
Yeah, I I did. And I, I think if I was at home, I would equally be as excited and as like living the moment. And it, it was it was a really nice period because I, I got to take my family down. Again, we we enjoyed, you know, going around Australia with absolute no consequence and, and no thought about what was going to happen at training the next day or a selection meeting or what training was going to be like or any issues that might arise. So I've absolutely loved going into that side of it. And it's something that I fell into about two, about two years ago at the hundred sort of thinking, right, well, things are going to end pretty soon over the next couple of years or maybe a little bit longer. So if I'm going to stay in the game, I need to sort of experience things and take up opportunities that have been offered a few times and basically say, no, because I don't think I'm going to enjoy it. So I remember going to a hundred game down at the Rose Bowl and it was towards the back end of the group stages and they were playing against, who were they playing against? The Oval Invincibles were playing Southern Brave. And it was quite a tight game, but I can remember rocking up to the game, having done loads of prep, thinking, right, this is going to be the same as captaincy, got loads of notes, I'm going to go in. And I got to the ground. And I thought, you know what, I'm just excited about today. Don't really care who wins or loses. I yeah. hope somebody gets runs and they have a really good day and it's a tight game. And then I sat back and I was like, well, this is pretty good. I've not had this feeling since I was a kid. Yeah. You sort of, every game as a teenager, when you when you level of expectation is you'll get runs or you win the game, somebody is like, right, there's always a focus. There's always a majority of the time you're disappointed. So I've, yeah, since I was probably under 11 or 12, I've never turned up to a game until doing the commentating or commentary and thought, you know what, this is just going to be a great day regardless. And, and that's how it's been since. And I was completely shocked walking away, driving home. I was like, all right, well, this, this could be an option at some stage. If, if you're good at it, if you're bad at it, you'll get carted one side anyway. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't really matter. But no, I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's uh, it is different, isn't it? It is different. I know a lot of players. It's almost like a, it's like a second career. But you, I love the way that you turn up with all the notes and and prepped up because actually it's it's funny that because I'm I'm on a different side to that. So I, I commentate on a lot of golf, and that's um that's the same thing. You can come in with rafts and rafts and rafts, and you turn up and actually if somebody shoots sixty two who you've never heard of who's lead, leading the way, you know that all of a sudden all your notes are out the window. You know you're just going on what's happened, aren't you? So it's just kind of well, that's. That is exactly like being an international captain. So you like preparing for commentary. I'll I'll do I don't know time scale. Put it an hour or an hour and a half or two hours, whatever it's going to be, because you yeah. can't put a number on it because you're always watching the games that are going on around you, and then you go back and make more notes and more notes. But as a captain, it is hours, absolutely hours. Hours spent with the analyst. Hours spent with the bowlers, building relationships, talking tactics. Then if tactics don't work, strategy, and it's just a constant snowball of, of the work that you do. And I guarantee you, majority of the games I've played over the years, within the first five to six overs, 95% of your preparation goes out the window because you only do the majority of the work as a build-on and hope that players do well to take advantage of situations. So for 5% of the time, you use it. And 95% of the time, you would say, well, it's probably pretty simple from here. And it comes back to your relationship with players and, and motivating them and, and creating a vision. It's, uh, it's interesting. It's fascinating. See, the lesson is there is that don't do as much prep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking of all the, cl- the club captains out there that sit in a selection meeting on a Thursday just after training. They pick the team. Then Friday evening comes. They've probably had two pullouts. So they go to the second team, right? Yeah. Second team captain, right? We need to pull two guys from there. Then Saturday morning, they probably have another pullout. And it's just like, well, I shouldn't have picked the team on Thursday. I should have just rang everybody on Saturday morning. <laughs> There's a lot of people listening to this completely relating. Yeah, completely related <laughs> to that, which I love it. <laughs> Look, cricket's, cricket's changing a lot, Owen, right? So, uh, you know, depending on who you ask for the better, some say for, for, for the worst. I think that's the the, the, the quite negative people. Um, I'm, I'm not on that side of the fence myself. But y- y- what's just looking back on kind of the timescale of your career before I spoke to you, going back to that preparation thing. And I was looking at that kind of era when you stopped playing test cricket and were mainly then focusing on the white cricket and completely correct me if, if I'm wrong here, but people like you, Luke Wright, Keys Vetter, Jay Dernback, Chris Jordan to an extent as well. Um, presumably you kind of grew up um, 
and then came through the system being forced down the path of red ball cricket. You've got to, you know, play your innings properly, um, get yourself um, a decent first-class record, get your first-class contract, play your four-day matches, and then if you get in the white ball team, that's great. But that kind of then phased out, or you guys probably helped phase that kind of mentality out quite a lot, really. Um, and, And once you'd got enough kind of credit in the bank, then it gave you that opportunity to, right, I'm specializing in my white ball cricket. That isn't the case now. Obviously, you get these white ball specialists who just come through and that is it. You know, they'd never even see a red ball, probably. Um, and which is probably a good thing when we're talking about World Cups and T20 World Cups. Um, but do you think that helped you, or do you think that probably shaved a little bit of I don't know, time off the development in terms of the white ball mentality? It's a difficult one, but you know, you you will know it because you've lived it. Yeah, here I've I've sat on both sides of the fence. Um, I primarily wanted to play for England as as a kid to play Test match cricket, to be a professional cricketer, to play county cricket. And the majority of of my early day, say right up until I was about twenty seven or twenty eight, first class red ball cricket took priority. If you got picked for Test matches, that took priority. But what allowed me to to I suppose play the game that suited me. So play my sweeps, play my laps, um, was opportunity in T20 cricket and 50 over cricket. And that that was at Middlesex as a kid. And the only reason that opportunity came about was because both of those formats were used to try and get youngsters experience to then go kick on and try and be a first-class cricketer who averages 40 or maybe more. And... You're right. It's it's completely been turned on its head, and I've sort of uh, after being dropped from the test match. I think it was in our test side. I think in 2012 or 13, um, it then allowed me opportunity to go and play elsewhere because I sort of sat back and looked at my avenue back into the test team. And bear in mind, the the test side that I was lucky enough to play with was, I believe, the the best test batting lineup that England have ever had. So yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> like Cook, Strauss, Trot, uh, Peterson, Collingwood, Bell was at six. He was at six, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Yeah, that is silly. And then sort of things chopped around and changed. And then you Matt Pryor at seven, you average 40. It was just unbelievable. So you could, so, so when I got dropped, I was um, thinking, how, what is my avenue back in? So it was back into county cricket. You sacrifice pretty much playing for England so you could play all of the first last season. If you finish in the top, say, five or six run scorers in the country, you then possibly were going to winter tour and you might not play, you'd carry drinks. But at the sacrifice of not playing in the IPL, not playing one day internationals, not playing T20 internationals. And we're seeing that really being slapped in our face at the moment with... Ben Stokes retiring from ODI cricket, Quinton de Kock retiring from Test match cricket, and generally young professional cricketers having so many options to choose from at a young age that they're going with both what they want to do, but what their skill level will allow them to do. So mm-hmm. if somebody's a better ball striker and wants to look at playing in some of the leagues in the world where you play in front of 90,000 people or 50,000 people on a regular basis. Fair play to them. I, I, I can't see an argument against it. That's no. what they want to do. And it's, it's almost, it's up to the system to provide a different opportunity or a better one to say, no, I don't, I don't want to play IPL. I actually want to play for Middlesex which I love and have grown to love for years and years, um, which is the challenge because when they have to make that choice, they're in their early 20s, late teens, early 20s. Um, and certainly if I was asked to make that choice at that age, I would, I would have, yeah, I would have chosen Red Bull cricket because there was no other avenue to go and play IPL or to go and play certain other things and and for a long period of my career if you played for England you could play in any tournament in the world because you were playing in a really strong team whereas now as every franchise tournament in the world is is broadcast in somewhere um, and everybody is watching and analyzing you can play in one league tear it up and, and have multiple opportunities 
over the course of many years. And that's, that's, it's really a detriment to, to domestic first class cricket. And in, in time, it'll be international cricket as a whole, not just test match cricket. I say international cricket as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's the thing. People are making choices now, aren't they? About ODI series and when they head off to the IPL, maybe, you know, people have got contracts to honor and that kind of stuff is so, it, I don't think there is a right or a wrong answer. Is there? Um, it's an, no, uh, I, I, genu- I genuinely think the right answer is the answer that that person makes. So Ben yeah. is sacrificing ODI cricket and he feels he has to sacrifice something if he's going to perform at that level consistently to win as much as he can for England. And Quinton de Kock clearly feels that in order to sacrifice test match cricket, he wants to focus on white ball purely for whatever reason. But that is the decision he made. And that's the right one because it is right for him and his family. Trent Bolt has done the same thing. He gave a great interview with Ian Ward before the game at the Gabba, the England game at the Gabba, and, and said, I've, I've toiled for years and years and I've loved playing test match cricket for my country, but I now have three kids who never see me. And this allows me to do, to do both um, and would like, you sit back and you think, well, would you rather completely retire and sit at home and find a normal job? Or can you do both and have, yeah. be half available down the line when you've created this new path for possibly other people to follow? It's, it's got to treat on an individual basis then, haven't it, really? Because it's interesting, in the media, these... I think the problem is it, it, it's so traditional, isn't it, cricket? And the traditions are something, actually, I don't think they should lose... You know, you shouldn't. You should always try and keep hold of that, right? Particularly at Lords and that kind of thing. It's what it's part of the charm. You know, you talk about the festival of cricket. Um, part of that is a charm. You can't really describe it. It's an immeasurable, isn't it? There's like the is whether it's the smell of the dressing room or the teas or the old bloke who's been sat in the same space for however long at a county ground, whatever it is. You know, you can't you can't measure that. You can't write it down. It's just what people are drawn to. But I suppose with with the way it's going, you get it's it's quite like a for everyone's looking for a formula for all players, aren't they? And nobody ever discusses yeah. it like you have there, really. Um, not not widely anyway. You don't see that written by journalists. You know, when someone says, "What's what's the future of English cricket look like?" People say, "Well, I think that players should do this." What well, what do you mean? All players should do this because you can't you <laughs> yeah. can't do that, can you? You can't do it. No, you can't. And I, I I totally agree with you about the traditions. You have to hang on to them, and and, and for as long as you can't can cherish those values that that cricket creates and then for a long time and, and certainly probably one of the first teams um where england to to uh, implement a rest and rotation policy and that that was hugely criticized and people want to see the players play more and more without consequence or detriment to their mental health or physical um, conditioning and and you can, I mean, this has been happening without us noticing it almost. If you go back, if you if you take our best test batsman Joe Root, who is an incredible all formatted player, loves test match cricket, and takes a huge sense of pride in in, in both scoring runs and winning games for England as a whole, he has sacrificed in many ways the development of his shorter formatted game in order to prioritize his test match career. And that hasn't been documented a lot, just simply because he is being well looked after and England are reaping the rewards. There is no doubt about that. But would you rather him just completely retire or would you rather him be monitored really well looked after and then after a period of time say, actually, this works excellently well? So I totally agree with you that there's no blanket rule for everybody. I mean, Ben Stokes, before the T20 World Cup started, nobody could identify the role that he was going to play in the tournament. And the role that he ended up playing was just, it's a Ben Stokes role. It's not a role that you can talk about for anybody else. But he has not played a lot of T20 international cricket for England. And it's at the consequence of prioritising Test Match cricket. People don't talk about that. That is a huge positive for the test game. And it's, it's, it, when you have two of our greatest ever cricketers, like not outwardly spoken how they prioritise it, but demonstrating it 
by acting out and living and breathing what they want to do, we should be sitting back and praising it the whole time. Yeah, I know that that is actually a good point. Both Stokes and Root are have have prioritised Red Bull, haven't they? And th- that doesn't get talked about enough. You know, with everyone's just kind of bashing the fact that the hundreds here and why are the ECB doing this, that, and the other. It, we could we could have a, another hour on this. Um, I'm a bit conscious, <laughs> <laughs> a bit conscious of time here. Um, I just, uh, I, su- I suppose um, we'll we'll move on from all that because, like, I mean, we could actually literally fill so much yeah. longer on that. And yeah. obviously, you've got so many thoughts on it, um, which is which is you know brilliant because you've been on the other side of that coin. And like I mentioned, part of that first group of players to really have that opportunity to have a, a choice to make, which is, um, which is really interesting. We'll pick your brains on that another time, Owen. Um, <laughs> but um, I suppose what I'll round things off with, um, look, we love traveling um, the Barmy army and watching England in all formats, as I'm sure that you are aware. Um, <laughs> very, very aware. Uh, Pakistan next little test tour. Um, you played the PSL. And you've been around the teams and the players and um, you've you've experienced that culture and what it would mean for England and, and just cricket to look something like normal back in the country of Pakistan. So, I mean, just give us your thoughts on that because there's a, a fairly strong Barmy Army contingent, an English cricket fan contingent, not part of the Barmy Army going over. And, um, I mean, how will they be received? Presumably, they'll absolutely love the fact that cricket test cricket is there and there's supporters there and it looks relatively normal yeah they will they'll be welcome with open arms and it's great to hear a huge contingent is is traveling over um certainly from speaking to the t20 players of the world cup the experience that they had out there and, and how they received it was just unbelievable and completely unique experience to any place that they've traveled previously because just we haven't traveled there i think it's 2003 since we we, we traveled there last or something or 2002 but uh, i mean to, to to put it into context you think of some of the uh, pakistan greats current greats of the game like babarazm went through long periods of, well pretty much his whole career having not played a home mm. game so it, that sort of puts things into context when we sit at home and bickering about the, 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 the negatives of English cricket when a lot of the Pakistan players haven't been able to play in front of their you know, families and, and, and local communities that have played such a pivotal role in their careers. So everybody, I think, will be welcome with open arms. The culture is just so friendly. I've experienced it all around the world. Um, so it's, it's, it's very warming. Everybody is very hospitable. Um, so yeah, they'll have a great time. Awesome, awesome. Um, and what are you up to? So you've got T10 league then now. Just uh, just for yeah. Listeners. So we've just we've just yeah we've actually just been training next to. So the England Test team have been out here. The England Lions have been out here um, doing their pre-Pakistan camp. Uh, the Lions have been out here for a couple of weeks, but they play against each other tomorrow, starting in a three-day game. So. It should be brilliant. It's a huge opportunity for some of the young Lions coming through. It's speaking to some of them today at, at, at training and they're absolutely buzzing for it. And where test cricket, English test cricket is at the moment is something to behold. I'm, I'm so jealous in many ways that I'm not a young guy coming through yeah. because of the style and, and the method that they're using goes completely against the grain. And also it, it actually lends itself more to a young Know, aspiring white ball player than probably just your your red ball your out and out red ball player. So um, I'll certainly be keeping an eye on that over the next three days. I know that Baz is a mate of yours, actually, isn't he, uh, Baz McCullum? And uh, he, I'll tell you a little story. I've not told it on the podcast. So I, I remember the first test of the summer, his first game in charge at Lords, and um, people listeners will know that Joe Root, Johnny Bairstow, I was kind of knocking around in Leeds with them. I was at uni when they were there. So I know, I've known Joe since I was small, but Johnny um, was sort of said, oh, you know, fancy coming to the team hotel. So went to the team hotel and sat having a, having a beer. I think they both battered that day and basically had kind of nothing on the next morning. So that was fine. So a few of the New Zealand lads are in the lobby of this hotel. I'm sat there going, wow, this is, you know, this is great. <laughs> um, and everyone's kind of knocking around. And and everyone, Joe and Johnny, who've obviously, you know, played their, I mean, they are senior proper players now. You know, they are 
probably the guys now in that dressing room, which is weird to me, but they're the guys in that dressing room now who your likes of Pope and uh, Zach Crawley, et cetera, will be really looking up to. And that's, a, that's something that you'll have seen change in front of your very eyes. But Brendan McCullum walks in. He just got out of the lift. He was just coming for, a, I don't know, quick coffee or whatever it was before, before sort of heading up to bed. And the respect that Joe and Johnny had sort of, you know, sat bolt upright and not in a scared way, but in a respectful way, like he's here, was was unreal. And when he walked off, I said to them, I said, you two were like naughty schoolboys then. They said, no, honestly. <laughs> You know, they were just like, he, they were just like, I can't believe it. You know, it's Brendan McCullum. And since that, you know, they both said that he has been an, an absolute delight to work with. And um, what he's got them doing in such a short space of time is just remarkable. So I was going to ask you if you were, if you were a little bit jealous because um, the way he's got them playing is just, I mean, it just, it's exactly how you would have wanted to, right? If you were still wearing the white. Oh, absolutely. Jeez, it's it's been remarkable, and like you said, in such a short space of time, and in many ways similar in context to to Matthew Moth, the England white ball coach. Um, he's gelled really quickly. Obviously, had immediate results, but actually, when you sit back and look at things in in, in, a, in a, I don't know, over a period of time, you would say that both coaches' impact will be next year in the Ashes and next year in the ODI World Cup because. You know, it's it's great to see a sense of leadership on on in I suppose in both changing rooms amongst the players to integrate you know two big characters within two different teams and embracing change for what it is. And we all know what what Ben is like. He's, he he can take the world on whenever he likes, which is amazing. Um, but certainly what Baz has brought, and so I've played under him. I played with him at in the IPL. I played with him at Middlesex. We're, we're very close mates. But his first coaching head job was at Calcutta at the IPL. And, and I wasn't surprised. I, just when, you, when you're talking about your mates, you sort of forget sometimes that they're, they're pretty good blokes and you know people enjoy being around them. It's probably the biggest compliment you can give Baz as a coach. People enjoy being around them. Yeah. He's a great ability to be able to take unnecessary noise away and make people feel good and, and, and free. And just you know, put a smile on people's faces. That's the main thing, isn't it? Hey, let's see if the smile is still on the faces after the World Cup and the Ashes. I'm, I'm at the moment. You've got to say they will be. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so there you go, Owen. Thanks so much for coming on, and um, really looking forward. Just one final time, plug it. So the tickets are on sale for your festival of cricket. When first of December, you say? First of December, the early bird tickets at thefestivalofcricket.com. Um, go on the website, have a look. Um, and I'd love to see absolutely everybody there. Awesome. Owen, top man. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We'll chat again soon, and um, we'll try and not make it as heavy hitting, but the world to rise <laughs> next time. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> top man, really appreciate that. No, no, no. Thanks, no worries. At all. At all. Podcast Network.